David, if you could have a French twist or a bubble flip, which one would you have? Oh my gosh. A French bubble t- flip. <laughs> I'm Dustin Harder, and this is Keep On Cooking. Hello there and welcome to Keep On Cooking, the world's only podcast dedicated to plant-based cookbooks and learning more about the authors who wrote those cookbooks. I'm your host, Dustin Harder, and he's the Spanish moss Spanish moss on my live oak tree of life. <laughs> say hello to my husband and producer of the podcast, Mr. Rossetti. Well, I do declare that is a nice and proper southern intro. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. I thought it was only fitting because we just got back from Z- Z- Savannah. Savannah. Vazana. Savannah. And I was inspired. Zana. Uh, you were. You were. Z- Zana. Vaspired. Vazana. I think I like Vazana better. Vazana. Anyway. We just got back from Vazana, Georgia. Vazana, Georgia. Um, yeah, it was a quick but fun time. Um, and we did get some, you know, in our 24 hours, we can do some damage. So we got in on some vegan eats in those 24 hours. Oh, right? ho, ho. What yes. Did we get? We yes, hit? we did do some damage. Well, first we walked around a little bit. We found this little tiny place called Spudnik, and that was all potato-based. And we love a potato. So we had a sweet potato base, something or other, and yeah. a, another, like, russet potato base with some herbs herbs and stuff but it was all it was like mashed potatoes with toppings essentially and really yeah it really just had potato in it and we were like we're going sure we're in we're great we Um, just need something quick because we had a nice little dinner planned at a place called mm -hmm. the haunt which david had you known i did not look at the menu that closely and see how mushroom based the menu i mean this menu every i would say every entree had a mushroom right which i everyone listening i celebrate i support i am on board with the mushrooms but mr rosetti on the other hand i and let me let me clarify um if it if it is like large chunks of mushrooms that's where i kind of have pause if there's mushroom flavor in it i usually end up liking it because like the flavors in there because i'll like the flavor but if it's like so it's a texture it thing for 100% you. a texture. Well, so thing. how did you feel when you sat down and looked at that menu and saw I was mushroom swe- on I mushroom? I was sweating just a little <laughs> bit because I was like, okay, what's going to be the least? Yeah, I was like, oh, I had no idea. But we got, we were a little gluttonous. I mean, we went for it. It was like our first Emphasis time at a restaurant. I mean, we were, we were actually glutinous. I mean, truly. We do not go bread. out to eat that often right now. We um, really and it was, uh, we got french fries with a cashew parm like they were parmesan french fries with the aquafaba ranch delicious by delicious the way. um crazy. there's a company out there everybody i can't remember the name of it if you look up aquafaba dips i'm sure it'll come up but um they sent me some stuff a while ago i feel terrible because uh, it was delicious i wish i'll look at it and tell you when next we meet but um they had an aquafaba tzatziki i remember anyways off topic talking about the haunt in savannah georgia mm-hmm. and we also had a like a cheese bread with a cashew cheese uh, and a gooey like delicious like cheesy top and a marinara on the side yeah, i mean truly really nice and then we were trying to decide what to have and we ended up just being like carbs on carbs bring it on we had a flatbread and it had a collard cream with uh there was a, a mushroom wild yeah. mushroom sausage on mushroom top. sausage and and uh the pierre resistance was like a, a agave 
kind of like hot or oh hot, yeah yeah like yeah i mean they called it spicy. like a chili honey uh which was agave obviously it wasn't honey because it was an all plant-based place so that's called the haunt in savannah and then yeah. everybody for years has been like oh my god if you get to savannah you have to go to the fox and fig and now listen I, we did go to Fox and Fig, and it was absolutely delicious. It was delicious. But I was kind of, I thought, I guess I thought it was going to be more of like a, I don't find dining's too big of like a, a a term that I'm trying to figure out of what I thought it was going to be. But it's more of like a order at the counter, and then it comes to, it's just the way everyone spoke of it. What was that place we went to? We never remember the names. But there was a vegan place we went to when we were in Paris. Do you remember? That was like sit down and really nice. Oh, yeah. Like but I thought it was going to be more like that. The vegan Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought we were going to be like... Especially with the name like The Fox and Fig. I I thought it was, you know... But anyways, all that to say, it was delicious, but it was more sort of like there there were baked goods, there were uh, like comfort foods, there were nachos and burgers. And coffee drinks. Yeah, coffee drinks. drinks, So all delicious, just not what I expected, I think is what I'm saying. But we had the Bonanza French Toast, which is basically like banana bread French toast. Delicious, of course. I mean, hello. Listen to the name of that. And yeah, there then was a special like breakfast tacos. Breakfast taco thingy. Yeah. Which what, I mean, get like, into it? Potatoes. Was it? Was there like a scramble? There was the, the they used just egg for the scramble. Okay. Yeah. So okay. super delicious breakfast tacos. We loved it also. And I guess there's there. It, look, we were walking around. There was a Indian place that had lots of vegan options. We walked by. So Savannah's, you know, coming on up with some vegan food, which was cool to see. That's awesome. Yeah, all super delicious. Um, you know, and, and again, we saw some places that clearly notated, we talked about this, clearly notated the vegan options. Yes, because I don't know if I have elaborated on this Oof. podcast how crazy it, it drives me. Not so much even as a consumer, but just as a person who works in food. When I sit down to a menu and you just list a V, a green V, vegetarian or vegan, which one are you telling me? And if I look on your menu and it is not clearly labeled, like a key to your menu, what is the, you know, the things mean next to the things like... That that upsets me greatly. It does, and it it upsets me as well. Maybe not as much as him. But get it together. Get it Come together. On. It's twenty. Yeah, you're trying to tell people what they're able to eat. Exactly. Then tell them clearly. Label things is well, all I'm saying. It's funny that we're kind of talking about, and we just went to the very south uh, of Georgia that we are uh, doing uh, Timothy Packron, also known as the Mississippi uh, Mississippi Vegan, this week. Yes, we have Timothy Packron of the Mississippi Vegan on now. David, the name of the book is Mississippi. Mississippi Vegan. Mississippi Vegan Recipes and Stories from a Southern Boy's Heart. David, why don't you go ahead and do the book flip and see what jumps out of this book. See what jumps out at you. See what jumps off the page. Jumps off the page. We got a mushroom rice paper bacon. Ooh, I gotta make that. That sounds delicious. Ooh, we got a hummingbird cake. Sweet, sweet and delicious. I love a sweet treat. With cream cheese. Is that the one? Glaze. Can I see the picture of that really oh, quick? Yeah, oh, I love this photo. He posted so this a cute. few days ago. The lighting's really cool and it's got a, a frosting dripping off of it with edible flowers on the top. I opened to the Salisbury steak. Mm, we made that one. Mm, we sure did. And let's see. Oh, what was that? Classic gumbo. So he's he's going through kind yeah. of the, the southern goods. Fig, beet, and arugula salad. Speaking of figs. Hello. And what else? Happy crab cake bites. Oh, we love a good crab cake. That's yeah, probably delicious. your favorite uh, vegan item to explore, David, is the crab cake. Oh, it, that is true. 
So let's get into these delicious recipes and so much more. Timothy Packran found his way as a food blogger sharing Cajun, Creole, and Southern classics of his youth on his blog, MississippiVegan.com. He was inspired by the flavors of his childhood to write his debut cookbook, Mississippi Vegan, Recipes and Stories from a Southern Boy's Heart. Yeah, and the book is chock full of personal anecdotes and accessible recipes for the home cook. And n- not just a food blogger, Timothy is an experienced food photographer as well and stylist. He has a large following on Instagram, at uh, Mississippi Vegan, where you can see even more food photos from him. But also of note, he photographed all the uh, photos in this book. That's right. So let's get into the food of it, everyone. Here he is to talk about his book, Mississippi Vegan. It's Timothy Packran. <laughs> From Mississippi to New York to New Orleans, he's an idea man delivering up beautifully styled and photographed recipes with a gorgeous book to back it all up. Please welcome to the podcast, Mississippi Vegan, Timothy Packran. How are you doing, Timothy? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? I am great. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to jump into your icebreaker question here. What is your cilantro? People have strong reactions either way to this. What is your cilantro? So I would say that... um, my cilantro would be a sea vegetable, and it has two different names, um, haziki or hajiki. Yes. And have you, have you ever had it? I have, yes. <laughs> so I used to work at a restaurant in New York, um, Angelica Kitchen. Have you heard of it? I like, have, the legacy. I know. So it, clo- it, was, it was one of my favorite restaurants that closed, but they would serve it with their Dragon Bowl and... It just tasted and smelled like it smelled like fish to me. So I couldn't because I never I've always had an aversion to seafood. Mm -hmm. So that was that was super easy for me to get to get rid of when I went vegan. But yeah, and wakame too. Like I can have wakame in small amounts. um, And like I can have nori with um, with sushi. The funny thing is, is I love kombu, but it would be hiziki hijiki i have a strong reaction yeah i um, you know i'm sometimes with seaweed i go back and forth and sometimes in small doses i'm okay and it depends on the seedway so i get that too and angelica kitchen for everyone listening that was a new york institution and mm-hmm. timothy how long did you work there for so i worked there for probably about four months okay and then but after, and it was while I was working at Blossom on Carmine, which was that, remember, that was where I first met you. Yes, yes. So, but after I worked there, I I lived in New York probably for another like six or seven months. And I kid you not, I ate there um, three to four times a week. <laughs> it just became, because when I worked there, I noticed there was regulars. And then I was like, I want to eat food like this every day. And so I did. And I, I miss it so much. I really yeah. do. Yeah, it really was a staple in New York. Um, but, you know, things change. Things grow. It's the way of life. I it guess. was there for 40 years. I know. But you know what I'll say? If you ever go to Austin, Texas, there's a place called Casa de Luz. Okay. And it's very similar. Similar vibes. They have the Dragon Bowl. Like, you, you don't even order anything. Like, they just have a set menu that day. And you just go in cafeteria style. They plate the food for you. And it's like, it's all gluten-free and, you know, low oil, low salt, sure. and fresh ingredients, super feel-good food. But I, 
that and it, they had like kukicha tea and it was they had gamashio on the table so very much ak vibes and i really appreciated it so and that place is still doing well so and what's the name of it again in austin it's called Casa de Luz. Casa de Luz. Like House of Light. Yes, yes. Everyone listening, put that on a post <laughs> Go visit. <laughs> Give them your business. And what about cilantro? Are you a cilantro fan or not a cilantro fan? I love cilantro. Fantastic. I, I eat cilantro. I actually have some growing in my garden right now. And I actually also have culantro, which is mm-hmm. similar. And it's nice to grow because you get a little bit more real estate with the leaves. Like you get bigger leaves. Yeah. Um, but yes, I am a huge cilantro fan. And the thing is, is I also would say like people complain that it's soapy and I get that. Like it does kind of have a soapy flavor, but I really enjoy it. So sure. I don't know if I have that, you know, they say you have a gene where it tastes uh-huh. like soap. Yep. So I don't know if I have the gene and I just like it or if I'm just not experiencing it, how someone who doesn't like it does. I don't you know. know. I mean, I used to taste it in a very strong soapy way. And then eventually I ended up really, I mean, I don't know if I really like it, but I like it. Like it doesn't bother me at all. And then mm-hmm. in terms of like ingredients that are my cilantro air quotes, I, and this might kill you, but like eggplant for me is hard. I try and sometimes I like it, but sometimes it's, it's a little bit of a fail for me. So I, I've, I've heard that before. Yeah. I've, I've crossed over the boundary where I, I do like it in some things, but I'm always just trying to find ways to like what it. What about like Baba Good News or like a spread? Mm, I, mm, mm, maybe. maybe like, <laughs> no, you're not good. Yes. So, listen, so you don't have it. Do let, let me ask you this. Do you have an eggplant recipe in any of your books? No, I don't. <laughs> well, I there don't. you go. There That's... you go. That's so funny. I never even <laughs> thought about that. I do not. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, hey, give us a brief brief history here. You grew up in Mississippi, but when did cooking come into your life and Mississippi play into it? And when did this all shift into veganism for you? Mm. Um, so I also wanted to ask you too, which pertains to this. Are you in Atlanta, right? I am. Yes. So I went to boarding school in Rome, Georgia, which is like an hour, a little over an hour north of it. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's where, that's where I learned about Brunswick stew, which I actually have a recipe for that on my blog, but I learned about a diff- I learned about different Southern cuisine when I was in Georgia. Cause you know, it varies like Mississippi to yes. Alabama to Georgia. Yeah. So that definitely was a part of my history. And then when I went to college in Charleston, South Carolina, that also kind of added to the foods that I was exposed to and ate. Um, but yeah, I grew, I was born and raised on the Gulf coast of Mississippi, like, like about an hour, um, away from new Orleans. And so all my family is originally from new Orleans, but then my parents moved to Gulfport and they had me and my twin sister and my older sister. And so I grew up in Gulfport. And so I was exposed to Southern food and a lot of new Orleans food. Um, and then I went to boarding school in Rome, Georgia, and then college in Charleston. So what age was boarding school? Boarding school was 10th grade to 12th grade. So I was 15. Yeah. So quite a bit of history in Mississippi, then a little bit in Georgia. And then the next one was college. Where again was that? College of of Charleston. So you were getting little bits of the South in different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, you know, you don't realize it at the time, but then when I was working on my cookbook, it was like, oh, wow, I can see, like, for instance, the the basket on the front cover is a Charleston basket. And 
that's made by like uh, it traditionally by Gullah people in Charleston. And I wouldn't have incorporated that, you know, on my book cover if it wasn't something special to me. And that's directly related to Charleston. Wow. And, and that's why like the front cover of the book was, was really important to me because I was worried that my editor wasn't going to want to pick it for the cover. But when I, when I was looking through all the images, all, all my friends were like, that is Mississippi vegan, like a cover that has okra and colorful bell peppers and the Charleston basket. It just like, it it's quintessential Mississippi vegan. And so luckily my editor was like, that's the perf that she agreed. She's like, that's the perfect. Oh, thank goodness. Right. Thank goodness. Yeah. Cause it's not like, (laughs) it's not a finished recipe. You know, right, right. It's tough to do a non-finished recipe, but yeah, I was, I was so happy with that. But anyways, going back to your question. um, So I went to college of Charleston for studio art. Then I moved to New York to like pursue my, my career as an artist. And I was doing that. I was working, I worked at Apple and I worked at all these different vegan restaurants. And I learned a lot when I, when I was in New York as a vegan I learned a lot from the, from just serving at the restaurants. So that was really, that was really important for me as a vegan. Cause you know, growing up in Mississippi, boarding school in Georgia and Charleston, I didn't get to eat at a lot of really cool vegan restaurants. Sure, so, sure. And I was always, a, I was always a passionate cook, but you know, you just, you just, uh, you, you learn from what you consume and, and you're able to have access to. So that was really important for me. But um, to go back to your question about Mississippi and veganism, it was, so I, I turned vegan when I was 20 and that's when I was in college. And that was, I'm 35, I'll be 36 in March. So I'll, I'll be vegan for 16 years in March. And when I went vegan in Charleston, um, I, immediately started to just make the recipes that I grew up eating. Mm -hmm. And so I was just veganizing them. And little did I know that that was the start of me writing my cookbook. Even though I didn't know it was, this was way before Mississippi vegan even existed, Mm -hmm. but you know, it's, um, I started, I started cooking and just making recipes, um, making gumbo and, and, and making, you know, Chex mix and making things I grew up eating. And I remember people would, were impressed and they would ask me for the recipes, but I didn't have the recipes because I wasn't, I didn't have a blog. I wasn't right, documenting right. recipes. Um, and it wasn't until I moved to New York that um, I was there for a few years and someone who, one of my friends who was doing really well on Instagram, at this point, I wasn't really, I, I had a personal Instagram and I would post to it, you know, maybe once a week, uh, and, um, well, cause remember was, when that was a thing, when Instagram, you were just kind of like, Hey, I'm gonna post on here every now and then it wasn't, it wasn't oh the God. massive thing it is now. Oh my God. It was like, <laughs> it was like, take a picture on your phone uh-huh. half in the moment, have fun, it, like literally Instagram, like Instagram. It was like, yeah. And they didn't want, like, that's, it's such a phenomenon because then professional photographers started uploading like their mm-hmm. high quality photographs and i don't think the person who created instagram ever really thought that was going to happen right not the intention right (laughs) (laughs) Um, and i mean you still i think just now you just this year you can post a picture from your computer 
but for the longest time you couldn't. Yes. You know, they wanted it to be for the vote. Yep. But anyways, so it wasn't until I was in New York and um, that my friend who was doing well on Instagram was like, you should start a food Instagram. Like you're a really good cook. You're a photographer. Like it would be perfect for you. And I, and they were like, you need to think of a handle. And so it just came to me like Mississippi vegan just made sense because I'm from Mississippi and then it merged my, it merged my past and my present, like my past from being from Mississippi and then my veganism. And, um, it kind of just like made sense. And I didn't really, I didn't realize the momentum that was behind it. Sure. But then I, then I initially started Instagram and I got a lot of attention and, and I just started posting recipes that I grew up eating and people at that time, there wasn't so much competition on Instagram. Right. It wasn't flooded. So, um, that's a good word. Cause it is flooded now. Huh? Oh, it is flooded. Nah. Yes. I mean, it's and like, you just have to accept the reality, but like, it's, it's damn near impossible to mm-hmm. grow unless you're putting out like viral reels. Oh my God. Like you're not going to grow by putting out beautiful photographs. Like I will, I will always post photographs. That's, I love photography, but you're just, you're not going to grow that way. Right. You used used to be able to. Well, and it's like, you also have to use all of the elements now on Instagram. You can't just, and there's no world where you're like, Oh, I, if you're not doing the reels and all of that, you can't be like, Oh, this is the thing I do that I'm talented at. It's it, like, and just post a picture. It's not necessarily about that anymore. You know, it used to be, which was cool. That's what I loved about it. And listen, I'm not going to knock on Instagram because it's brought me some wonderful things and connected me to uh-huh. some beautiful people, but it is difficult to keep up with how it changes and everything and, and what, you know, sort of gains traction traction on it that's what i always i always say the most consistent thing about instagram is that it's always changing yes and and a lot of people are like bitter about the algorithm or that it's not photo-based anymore and it's like honey you need to jump on it and you need to keep up because at the end of the day it's a tool Mm -hmm. it's a tool for you to use to share information and that's what empowered me when i was starting out my account I had been trying to show artwork in galleries for years and I did end up showing in some galleries, but I never really could get ahead and never really made money doing it. And then all of a sudden I started, I started taking art, artsy pictures of food of recipes that I love that were dear to me and posting them. And there was so much accessibility to them. Like I could reach so many people now. And that's really, I think, the key. The the key to Instagram is that it's a tool to use to share information, and and so you know you kind of just have to stay on on your toes and um, and just keep up with it. And it it's really it's a game. And you know, as someone who like you know someone like you and, and me, it's our business. Like being a cookbook author and a blogger, like it's a tool that we use for our business. And so. I have friends who are like, I deactivated my Instagram. I can't do it. And I'm like, good for you. Like, I, yeah, right. I, I get it. Like, that's not an option. For me. I know. I know. I do on my birthday. I take it completely off my phone for the day. Yes. Like I, because it's not enough for me just to power it down. I know I'm going to turn it back on. So I'll take it completely off. I take fi- Facebook off and all that as well. And I give myself like good 24, 48 hours of just, and it doesn't mean if I have it on there, I'm going to post or anything, but I'm still going to like scroll and see what's up. It's, it's the world that we're in now. Did yeah. you start first as an Instagram and then you turned it into a food blog? Yes, it, it was Instagram first 
before everything. I, I, to be honest, I only had, I only started my blog and only had like maybe four or five recipes on the blog when I got my book deal. So I wasn't really even a blogger. I was sure. more of a, I was more of just an Instagrammer. I wasn't even really sharing recipes. It was more just sharing, you know, pictures of the food and talking about it. So it's pretty, pretty crazy to think about because I, when I got my cookbook deal, it was almost like I really had to learn how to write a recipe. Mm-hmm. As, as you know, it's a skill, it's an art form. And if you're not good at it and people struggle making your recipes, that is not good. Right. And people right. will be mad at you and they'll leave really bad reviews. I was going to say, and then they'll let you know. They will let you know. Yes. They will tell you. They will email you. They will leave a comment. Uh-huh. They will write a review on Amazon. Anyone who's upset, they love to use the internet to let oh, you yes. know. Yes, they sure do. Do you remember no. what your first vegan like what your first vegan cookbook was that you owned? We'll be back after a quick break. Hey bar and girl fans, it's Jim with Madhouse Bar Talk, where me and my co-host sit around and talk about the things going on around Madhouse Bar and Grill in Elyria, Ohio. The whole conversation is unscripted, uncensored, and unedited. Anywhere where you stream podcasts, just remember, Madhouse Bar Talks, baby. Um, yeah, it was it was Vegan Cupcakes Take Over the World by Issa and Terry. There you go. And then the second one was Veganomicon. Yep. But the first the first one that I saw was my friend rented it from the College of Charleston Library, and it was Vegan with the Vengeance by Issa. Okay. Yep. I love it. And that so then I became a fan, and set, then I bought... I remember when... Do you remember when Vegan Cupcakes Take Over the World came out? No. I what, When did that even come out? I mean, I've been vegan for... 12 years now i think it might have come out right before i was vegan maybe when did it come out yeah it came out right when i went vegan yeah like it was like very early on so that was i think that was the first and i remember i just made cupcakes constantly (laughs) and people loved it and then vegan up and then i don't know if veganomicon came out before after it must have came out before but i think it came out before but i do love about but wait what were you saying about that though is that well, your maybe, other one? So maybe Veganomicon was the first. I just remember when Veganomicon came out, it was a big deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a big deal. I had never seen a cookbook like it. And that was the first time that that was the first book that really made an impression on me. And and then I became a huge I became an Issa fan. And then it was it was in New York after I'd started Mississippi Vegan that my friend was like, hey, Issa's looking for people to help her on her cookbook set. Um, and I got to, and I applied and she hired me and then we became really good friends. And to, to this day, we're really good friends. You and guys are really, like besties. Uh-uh. It was, it was, yeah, it was crazy because I knew that we would get along. Cause I saw her, I saw her YouTube videos and like, I watched some of post punk kitchen and I was like, I know what we get along, but we really just hit it off and we had so much fun. And, and she, she really is one of the funniest people that I know. She's, and she's a, fun, a funny lady. And those books. That, yeah, I know. And she's, I mean, she's like OG, like 
Oh yeah. She's, she's, yeah. And still current, still doing cookbooks. Oh yeah. She's got the fake meat book coming out next year. And the, um, those, the cookie, the cookie one you talk, or no, you talk about the cupcake one. And then that. And then she did the cupcake one and then cookies invade your cookie jar. And then the pie in the sky one. So I'm telling everyone, as you mentioned this, I want everyone to know there's these three really cute books by Issa <laughs> and Terry. And they, uh, to me, I think they should be available in a box set, but it's basically a pie book, a cookie book, and a cupcake book. And it's a fun little, I think you should like give that, them to vegans as know, a little gift set. That would be, they should do a 10th, 10th year anniversary box set. Yes, like, that's what I'm saying. That would be... So cute because they did it. They did a ten-year anniversary. They sure did a Veganomicon. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell your girl Isa, and I only want like five percent. It's fine. Okay, five percent. I'll be like, (laughs) and I do too. So it's like ten percent is already coming out. It's fine. It's fine. We came up with this idea together. My goodness. All right. Well, let's get into Mississippi vegan recipes and stories from a Southern boy's heart. The book starts off with a bang here with breakfast breads and biscuits. Some of my favorite things. First off, the first picture you get is of the toasted pecan waffles. The picture alone shows you from the jump. This book is about more than a recipe collection. It's just as much about the recipes as it is the photos. And next there's the everything bagels. I did make these. Uh, I'll be real. I've made a few different everything bagel recipes in my lifetime. And this one comes out on top. It was actually like easy to execute. And the results were like a perfectly chewy bagel. Uh, tell me about the the recipe, my father's hash browns. So that was, that was a recipe that my dad, my dad, um, didn't really cook like dinner or lunch. He only cooked breakfast. Um, uh, especially like when I grew up, but that was his thing. And he would make us breakfast on the weekends. And I just remember he would always make hash browns and he would, they weren't the shredded scattered hash browns. They were the, like the diced hash browns. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think, you know, it was just, it, it just, it, it stayed with me because potatoes are like, you know, probably my, aside from bread, probably my favorite food. And it was so comforting to just have potatoes that are browned and so golden and with garlic. It just, it's just something that I still eat to this day. Like, I mean, probably three times a week I eat, I eat some sort of brown potato. I mean, cause potatoes are delicious. Yeah, 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 they're just love, they're like my <laughs> love language. So um, that's why, and my my one of my favorite recipes is making like sourdough focaccia with potatoes on top because that you just Ooh. get the best uh. of the world. But yeah, I you know one of those you know those recipes that you just remember your parents making and you remember the smell and and um, I can just envision it now and and um, and so it was important for me to put it was important for me to put a few different recipes that reminded me of my dad and my mom yeah. just, just because they were such a huge, I mean, they're for my parents, but I was going to say they're a huge part of my life. It's like, <laughs> but you know, not everyone has a great yeah. relationship with their parents and I do. And, and, and I'm really thankful that they decided to leave New Orleans and, and, and uh, raise me in Mississippi because it really, um, I'm just so grateful that I had that opportunity and I love Mississippi. And I actually, even though I live in New Orleans now, I want to, um, I want to eventually have a homestead in Mississippi where I can rescue animals and I can have, I can have like a small farm and I can um, just have some acres 
Um, I just feel so calm and comfortable there. And, sure. And it's not really like, you know, it's not a place you go for a cool city to go out to eat. It's, I love it because of the nature and the land and the vibe there. And, um, you know, like I want to live in, on a homestead like the Native Americans did, like the, the Indians did in Mississippi. Like that's kind of my vibe. So um, I'm sorry. Now I'm going on a tangent. No, but, I love yeah. it. Listen, that's what this book is. It's stories from a Southern boy's heart. So you're giving <laughs> us the total vibe of the book. I'm here for it. And it's these recipes like this, my father's hash browns. And you talked about being in college and when you're going vegan and you're sort of like recreating these recipes that were, you know, part of your childhood and part of growing up. And that's what this book became. So, I mean, that's all part of this journey. We've even got the next one on here is the fluffy cornbread from Angelica's Kitchen. So we're yes! getting into so that too, it's so cool. They gave you that recipe to put in here. So we get of a, you, you pass on the legacy of Angelica's kitchen a bit. The rest of this chapter has some great stuff too, like sausage biscuits, golden garlic biscuits, blueberry pecan muffins, and another cornbread recipe with a skillet cornbread. This chapter is literally full of everything you want. And the next one, the next chapter is our snacks, drinks, and appetizer chapter. What's a mm. snack in here you would keep on hand on a regular basis? Mm. The, che- the the Creole Chex Mix is... I was hoping you'd say that. Tell us about it. <laughs> well, it is... So I remember... it's. I'm actually so happy we're doing this episode in December, right before the holidays, because that's when I was introduced to Chex Mix. I, I, you know, I had it growing up as a kid, but I remember I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine. And one of my friend's moms in her minivan... Um, knocked on the door and she actually didn't stay. She left. So when we opened the door, we saw like the van driving off and there was a little um, like Chinese takeout container of Chex Mix and it was still warm. And me and my mom ate it. And it was like, it was probably a super basic, simple recipe, which is just like melted butter, Worcestershire, um, you know, salt and pepper and garlic. But we ate it and it was still warm. And it was like, I mean, that's just, it was just like one of those moments that you just, you'll never forget. And, um, and so I, I always, we always enjoyed it during the holidays, but I started, I started making it and eating it just throughout the year. Cause I love it. And then I started making it for Christmas present. It's a great Christmas present. So you can make a huge batch, divvy it up into little bags or mason jars and give it to your family. So I started doing that. And then um, I remember in New York when I was doing pop-up events, I would actually make it and sell it um, at like different events. Oh, I bet it sold so well. <laughs> it did. And, and one of my friends was like, you should you should figure out how to sell this. And I, I may very well sell it. I just, I wish I could figure out a way to not call it checks Mix because I think they have a, they have a copywriter. They that, do, and you is, know, rice rice square mix doesn't have quite the same ring. No, it doesn't have the ring. And snack <laughs> mix, snack mix to me is more like a, a variety of different things, not like the classic Chex mix. So, anyways, and I'll what gives more. this its Creole flair to this Chex mix in here? So the Creole flair is comes from the cayenne pepper and the paprika. Ah, um, that's what gives it. Th- that's kind of like. Like when I, when I was cooking a lot in New York and I was really studying Cajun Creole food, I think the best way to do that would be to saute onions, 
celery and green bell pepper and then cook it down until it's soft and then add paprika, cayenne pepper, salt, and pepper. And if you can throw in a few bay leaves and let that infuse and then take a bite of that, that to me is like Cajun Creole food. Mm. Um, That's kind of like that foundation that I learned early on from my mom when she taught me how to make gumbo. And so, um, yeah, so I would say definitely the cayenne, the paprika, and then also the onion, the onion powder and the garlic. Sure. Um, All the to... things to give it a nice kick. Yeah, you always want a little tickle on the tongue. I yeah. think it's not, you wouldn't call it spicy. You would just call it kind of like, it, it excites your taste buds. And bit, so, yeah, a little bit of sass. Yeah. Well, the beverages are no slouch in this chapter. We've got a ginger mint lemonade and a lavender and Meyer lemon pop. Uh, also a Satsuma whiskey sour. And then a Bloody Mary in here. What separates your uh, Bloody Mary from the rest? I think the Bloody Mary, I really wanted it to be, I wanted it to taste so savory that like it would almost be like a gazpacho. Like you could serve it in a bowl and like sip it, drink it with a spoon. Like that was my goal. And, um, I also think to not hold back on the toppings, you just kind of want to go over the top. You want it to look like a little garden, like a little drunk garden. (laughs) I feel like that's the fun part of a Bloody Mary, right? Yeah. That's what inspired me. I was like, I want it to be, uh, want it to be a drunk garden. I love Uh, that. You should, maybe the next book you can do one called the drunk garden, bloody Mary. (laughs) You're like sipping on the bloody Mary and then you're taking the little pieces out. You're taking a little crunchy bite of stuff and soaked in the bloody Mary. It's so tasty. Yeah. I would also say not to hold back on the horseradish. I think that was an important ingredient to use and it does. I think it's, it's necessary to give it that, that little kick. Sure. So definitely don't skimp on the horseradish. Horseradish, everybody. And when we're looking at appetizers, if someone just gets this book, what's an appetizer from here you would tell them to make first? What's the first thing you'd tell them to make? Hmm. Well, I'm trying to think. I love the, um, I love like the, there's a cashew cheese roasted fig tart that you make on puff pastry. And I really love it because you know, puff pastry is one of those great store-bought ingredients that just has excellent result and with no effort. Yes. <laughs> and, most, yes. and most puff pastry is accidentally vegan. Yep. So, but that, that one, I've been actually really wanting to make that recently, but yeah. So you, so you basically put a really savory, uh, cashew cheese spread on the bottom and then you put sliced figs and red onion and you bake it in the oven until it's crispy and then you serve it with fresh oregano and a drizzle like balsamic vinegar and it's just um it's just delightful and um the other thing that i love too is the cheese straws that's quintessential mississippi the cheese straws are and what are those made out of in here i will say um i will say one trick with those is you want to really fluff up the batter till it's really fluffy before you put it in like the piping bag because sure. it can be hard. But um, I'm actually, the, my book's right here, but I'm not going to open it. Let me think if I can guess. So <laughs> I, I know that it's flour, there's vegan butter, and then there's cayenne pepper. And that's traditional. There's always, they, they are kind of spicy. That's kind of a thing. They're kind of like a shortbread if, if people have never had it. 
Um, and then there's also vegan cheese and I'd be shocked if there wasn't nutritional yeast in it. Are you looking at it right now? I'm not, but I can. Now I want to know, I want to know if there's nutritional yeast. in it. (laughs) There has to be right. I mean, there may not be. Well, okay, here it is. Here it is. Yeah. So there's, there's nutritional yeast and there's, um, miso. Ooh, all the good things in here. Yeah. All the ume plum plum vinegar is another Mm -hmm. secret, secret weapon in this book. And if anyone hasn't had it, it's um, a pickled plum vinegar and it has a, it's salty. So it's not, it's, it's not like traditional vinegar in that it is very salty, but it has a really bright, like tangy, um, umami in it. Like it has umami and mm-hmm. it's just, it, it, it just is a zip that. I think really gives a recipes kind of a backbone, especially when you're trying to veganize. Cause you know, this traditional recipe uses butter and cheese and those can be hard to compete with, 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 with certain, with certain sure, recipes. Sure. Even though the vegan cheese game and vegan butter game has come a long oh, way. Oh yeah. It's come such a long way. Like I think these for the butter, you could use earth balance, but I do think Miyoko's would be the butter that would take it like, to that level of like, you know, cause it, cause it's cultured. It just has that extra flavor. Sure. Um, but yeah, anyways, these are really fun and I will say they're, they're better to make. I didn't know about a cookie press until I was testing for this recipe. Have you heard of a cookie press? I have. I, yes, I, yes. I used one with actually Pamela when we did a pop-up at, uh, uh, urban, what's the name of it now? Urban Vegan Kitchen. Yeah, where you did the recipes for Urban Vegan yeah, Kitchen. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say Urban Kitchen, but Urban Vegan Kitchen. I, you know, I just I just talked to her like the other day. Oh yeah, how's she we doing? She's great. Good. She's great. We yeah, uh, we still talk every day. Good. But so wait, what did y'all use a cookie press for? We were making uh, some churros, so we did them to make some churros. Yes, exactly, mm-hmm. and that's exactly. That's pretty similar. That's a pretty similar shape to the cheese straws. But, um, but anyways, I, that's, I just, you know, I want to give people full disclosure. Like you can use a piping bag, but a cookie press will make your life so much easier. And they're not that expensive. They're not that expensive. They're on, you know, online anywhere. They're, they're very inexpensive. And then you have them around to make things where people go, Oh, how did you do that? You know? So it looks good. to people. The lanyap says, if you have a cookie press, well, then look at you go. That will work beautifully for this recipe. So whip it out and skip the piping bag. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> look at you go. Oh, I love it. This this uh, chapter is full of fun stuff. We've got fried pickles, stuffed mushrooms, happy crab cake bites, and hello, Frito Pie. For people who don't know who Frito Pie what Frito who Frito Pie is, let me tell you about let me tell you about her. Listen, tell people, please, what Frito Pie is. Frito Pie is a recipe that consists of a bed of, of Fritos, usually the smaller Fritos. And then you cover it with nacho cheese sauce and chili. And that's probably as far as it went when I had it as a kid. But like, I like to put, you know, I think it's good with sour cream, also some green onions. Yes. Um, and the other fun thing about Frito pies is sometimes when you get it, they'll serve it in a Frito bag. That's just like the tops cut off and then you pour the cheese and chili in and then you just eat it. But 
Oh my god, it's so good. Now I'm craving that. I know it's I was when I was looking through the book earlier, I was like, Oh, I want Frito Pie. You know, it's it's those things. Every now and then you just gotta indulge a little bit. And a Frito Pie would be that. Yeah, I've been I actually it w- I've been thinking about doing more of a um party style Frito Pie with the big Frito scoops. Yes. Kind of have it like, or like a Frito pie dip. Like there's, you could do some fun variations of it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. I, okay. I highly, highly recommend it. All the fun stuff for appetizers and sandwiches and salads. That's the next chapter. I made the PLS, PLTS from here because I love potatoes as much as you do, but tell our listeners here what the PLTS is. That recipe actually became one of the more popular recipes from the book, which I thought was funny. Um, I don't know why I thought it was funny, but it just was to me. But it's basically a BLT, but instead of bacon, I use potato bacon. Mm-hmm. And if you cut the potatoes thin enough and cook it with the seasonings, it, it really does have that kind of chewy, crispy texture at the same time. And um, a funny story, actually the inspiration for that recipe aside from me loving BLTs and, and eating them growing up was I would volunteer at a farm in Charleston, um, in my early twenties. And we would, they would have rutabagas. Um, and we had so many, we were trying to like figure out what to do with them. And I made, I made bacon with them. Um, and so I started making bacon with root vegetables and, um, and I would make them into BLTs. And so that's, that's kind of where this, the inspiration of this recipe came from. Um, you know, in addition to just, I think a BLT is a, I don't even know if you consider it Southern. I guess I think it's Southern because, you know, I grew up eating them. I was going to say, because you ate it in the South. So, hey, there you go. <laughs> and you know, it's, and you know, it's actually really funny at boarding school in Rome, I would go to Atlanta a lot. And I went to my friend's, um, my friend's cousin's house in Atlanta. She lived in Buckhead in a beautiful house. And I remember I walked in and her, it was in the middle of summer and her mom had made, she just made bacon and she had soft bread and she had juicy ripe summer tomatoes. Oh yeah. And I was probably 15 or 16 and she didn't even toast the bread, which I usually had had it toasted. Sure. And I remember it just like, melted in your mouth mm-hmm. she she put a ton of like mayo on it's it that mayonnaise it's that mayonnaise you and know? i'm sure she i'm sure she used duke's mayonnaise at, at that time but <laughs> i remember and the bacon was like so crispy it was almost a little burnt but uh-huh. like that was her intention you know iceberg lettuce gotta use iceberg yep. like this is not time for kale or arugula it's like <laughs> but I, I that was another time in my life where I remember being like, this has to be the best sandwich I've ever had. And to this day, it's it's my favorite sandwich. It is. A, you know, any I do one with uh, carrot bacon, and it's just getting that crisp sort of like smoky flavors. With smoky, yeah. The vegetable, it's just so good. It's so good. Lots of different ways you can do it. And this one is no slouch. I enjoyed it very much. So everybody get into it. Get into the potato bacon out there. Uh, <laughs> also worth mentioning in beautiful photos here, the grilled avocado and kimchi and the fried popcorn tofu po'boy. So, so good. And salad. We're moving into salad. I love me some salad. This avocado cucumber and tomato salad is right up my alley but tell us about the roasted root and quinoa salad and this meyer lemon and miso tahini dressing Mm. that is definitely 
another little nod to Angelica Kitchen, that miso tahini combination. Because, um, you know, growing up, I, I didn't eat miso or tahini growing up. Maybe I had tahini, but like hummus wasn't even popular when I was growing up in Mississippi. So um, I definitely wanted to kind of incorporate some of the newer ingredients that I learned about in my life with these recipes. But um, this was just, I feel like, especially with Southern food, a lot of it's heavy, a lot of it's comfort food. So it was important for me to include something that, you know, used a lot of vegetables that was, that was wholesome. And that, you know, was kind of like hearty and filling. It made you feel good. And so it's really well, also those, right? like feeling satiated. That's like the great yes. balance, right? Feeling full. Like, I mean, feeling like good about what you're eating, but also feeling satiated. Yes. Like having, having a grain and, and hearty root vegetables and a really nice dressing with some healthy fat. And Meyer lemon too, to me is um, Meyer lemon. Just, it honestly reminds me of Charleston because there was so much citrus there. Um, growing up like i mean in college when i was there but um so this recipe kind of has a little bit of all my inspiration in it but i uh, it's it's great and, and you can really use whatever vegetables with it you know like it's kind of like there's a lot of wiggle room but um yeah it's definitely a, a feel good recipe which was important to me to have a few of those <laughs> yes <laughs> i totally get that my last book i was I, oh my gosh i was writing in the middle of it. i was like i've got to put some vegetables in here need, like some bright green stuff in here this is driving me crazy yeah. Yeah. oh so i totally understand and this this book's got some more in it we've got a great vegan caesar from you and there's some delicious delicious looking photos here of a pan fried artichoke heart salad and a picnic pasta salad a vegan mm. chicken salad and the chapter closes out with a potato salad so I'm, i feel like there's got to be something special about this is it that creamy creole dressing yeah the the potato salad um was a really special recipe it was actually it was actually uh, it was originally on the blog and I took it, it was like one of the few recipes that was on the blog before the cookbook. And I actually took it off the blog to put it in a book. Well, because this uh, is something people might not know when you have a blog or when you have, because I don't have a blog necessarily, but I do have, I do have a recipe bank online, right? And so listeners, when you have a blog um, or something like that, publishers, you can't put a recipe in your book that's already posted online. Most contracts will say that it has to be right. original. You cannot right. post it before. So in your case, and I did this too, I pulled a couple down to put them in the book, but put pull that thing down and put it in your little book, baby. That's great. Yep. And um, yeah, absolutely. And and that that's that recipe in particular is really special to me because um, I don't know if you're familiar with Tori Amos, but um, what? she's a musician. Of course I am. So yes. I, well, I didn't want to assume, but I was... Timothy, funny story, cutting you off. So sorry, we're going to come back to it. It's still on a Tori Amos bit, but my husband does not like her. And I will play Whoa. like, I'll play like Little Earthquakes and um, the one that's got Raspberry Swirl on it. And like, what the ones from the 90s, like I'll play those. I'll yeah. just start playing them in the background when he's around. And he, he like, can't do it. after like two or three songs, he's like, Can we? and he's really, I listen to all kinds of different stuff. And I'm like the music person in the house. He's really good at listening to everything. But for some reason, when I play her, he's like, <laughs> he's like, can we turn it to something else, please? And well, I'm like, sure. 
you know, she always said her music was like anchovies, like the people that love them totally. really love it and the people that don't. But to finish that story. Yes, please. Sorry. I the, just had to the, share. No, I no. that makes that makes me even more excited to share this because <laughs> you're going to because you're going to be really happy. So um, it was, I guess, a year and a half or two years ago, Tori Amos, it was during it was in the middle of the pandemic. OK, and she came out with the article with NPR. And her daughter had gone vegan. And so she was talking about how she was making vegan recipes. And she said that her favorite cookbook was Mississippi Vegan. (gasps) And no, 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 I'm going to start crying. Her favorite cookbook was Mississippi Vegan. She kept it in the kitchen all the time. And her favorite recipe was the the Creole potato salad. And she said it in the article and she like tagged me (gasps) and mentioned me. And I was... I literally, I was such a huge, I'm still a huge fan, but like in high school, school, I followed her on tour. I saw her play in Atlanta. I saw her play in New Orleans. I saw her play in um, in St. Louis, Louis, Missouri. Like I was obsessed with her and I met her a few times at her meet and greet because I was, I was such a big fan. So when that happened, I really, I was like in tears and it was really, it's really the highlight of my career. It really is. I don't think I could top it. I don't even know. Like, it's, because it's, I'm just so excited. I'm, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I how that's <laughs> wonderful. I'm just like, and I'm also like, I love that you followed her in concert because I've seen her maybe three or four times. And the the one tour she did, it was a theater tour, and I just want to see if you went to it. It was when she had the covers album. What's the name of the cover? Strange Little Girls. Yes, the Strange Little Girls tour. That's when I first saw her in New Orleans. I that love that album. But the way the tour started with that, the it was the Eminem cover, I think. Yes. And then the curtain just dropped, and she like came out, and oh, I was just like, I still remember it to this day. I'm a concert freak, so like I remember that was the first like concert. That was the first concert that I was, I was like 14 or 15 when I saw that. And it, it quite literally changed my life because I had never seen um, a, a creative person and a powerful woman express herself so beautifully and with so much energy. And, and I mean, she was magnetic to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also, I had never seen so many like gay or queer people. Sure. In the same sure. Place. Yep. I had never seen that. I didn't know that was a thing that was a part of her audience. Like, you know, and so it was life-changing for me. And I remember driving home back to Gulfport, Mississippi from New Orleans when I saw her here. And I was this high, I was in the back of the car, just like high because I was mesmerized by her. Sure. And so, and for you to look at and for your for your listeners to check out, if you go to MississippiVegan.com, you can find the potato salad. And I I tell the whole story. I post a picture of me and Tori when I was 16. And I share the article from NPR. And I actually share the full recipe on the blog. And I call it Tori's Potato Salad. Oh, I love it. I was just going to say, I was like, now you need to have a recipe named after her. Have you seen her since she tagged you and mentioned you? I have it. So she follows me on Instagram and I obviously follow her, but. Oh, well, now, now you're going to be VIP. This is good stuff. Next but time I'm a little, on the road. I'm a little scared to like, you know how you're not supposed to meet your idols. I, yes. Trust believe. Yes. I and do. I think, I think if I met her, it would be, it would be lovely. And I think it would be cool, but you just, you just never, I don't know. I wouldn't want to offend her. I wouldn't want anything to go wrong. I to get where, it. 
I totally get it. She's just too important. And I'm so happy with the fact that she likes that she has my cookbook and cooks from it. Like, and so I kind of just like, I'm happy to leave it there, but. (laughs) I got it. You're like, it's great right where it is. You're like, I don't want to possibly like mess with that at all. I get it. it. If she came to New Orleans, I would definitely go see her. And I might send her a dm and be like i'm coming to the show (laughs) um if i see that she's in new orleans i'm gonna be messaging you and telling you that you like i'm gonna be pushing you towards that direction but i also respect your decision okay you're like i'm going to new orleans we're going together (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness okay we're on a tory tangent which is acceptable and i'm keeping it in so everybody get into it but i'm gonna get back to the book here uh soups and stews what's a favorite soup of yours or or stew in this book a soup and a stew what's a favorite soup what's a favorite stew um my mama's rosemary white bean soup is special to me because you know i would eat it she would make it all the time my dad loves white beans so my mom would make it all the time but i do remember and you could probably relate to this when i was writing my cookbook i was so stressed out and because it's so overwhelming and i was shooting everything too and my mom said how can i help and i said type up a recipe or write down a recipe and like, make sure it's correct. And, and I will put it in the book, but like, that's what I need help with. Like, just do that for me. And so she did, she did the mama's rosemary white bean soup and she did the, um, the pralines, the pecan pralines. Oh, that's great. It's nice too. It's like having a very, um, it's literally having her touch on the book. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And mama's rosemary white bean soup has been another, cause you know, as a cookbook author, you know what people like and make cause they tell you. And this recipe, a lot of people make it. And every time someone tags me on Instagram, I send it to her. <laughs> Oh, I love that. You get to share that with her too. I've got, I actually have a posted on it in this book. So clearly it, it caught my eye too. What about a stew? Do you have a favorite stew? Um, I'm looking at now. So I, I can remember the suc- succotash stew, which, so, you know, succotash is more like a kind of salad style dish. So I had fun turning that into a stew, but oh, the peanut stew, that one is so good. And, you know, it doesn't have a picture and I'll tell you why. If there's ever a moment where there's not a picture, it's not because I didn't try to shoot it. I just didn't, I didn't get the shot that, that sure. I was happy enough with. And I can, I can see myself shooting this soon and making it beautiful, but I think I was just, I just couldn't get it. And you know, a lot of Southern food is not very pretty. Um, a lot of it's kind of mushy and brown. So, um, but yeah, I would say don't sleep on the recipes that don't have pictures. And this peanut stew is definitely one to try. I've had a lot of people tell me they love that. Peanut stew, everybody. Don't sleep on it. <laughs> Check it out. And you've got gumbo and rice is the next chapter here. I see you've got several different gumbos in here. What's the distinctions between them? So I think you've got like four in here. Yeah. So, um, the biggest distinction is there's a classic, there's like a traditional gumbo base, which is a flour and oil roux. And then I, I wanted to make sure, so I actually know this number off head. So out of 125 recipes, 82 of them are completely gluten-free. Wow. It was important for me to have a gluten-free gumbo. So I tested one with sweet white sorghum flour. And that I found made for a really nice brew because you could toast it with the oil. Sure. Um, and so that's the two, the, the biggest difference. And then 
Um, the classic one, I use a vegetable stock. And then the, the fungi one, the mushroom one, I use a mushroom stock. And then <clears throat> the gumbos or herbs, that's like a, it's, it's a traditional recipe in New Orleans. The funny thing is, is they, they created it for Good Friday when you're not supposed to eat meat. But they still put they still put like ham hock in it. Like it's not like there's still meat in it. But like it's just like they just and, you know. Anyways, the whole point is to not eat meat, but there's right. some meat. Right. So, but I love that traditional recipe because it just it really it really is just like um totally loaded with a ton of different greens. Like sure. the more the more different varieties, the better. And so. That that obviously made sense to me. Um, and then the corn one, I thought corn is not a, I don't, I've never really heard it traditionally being used. Gumbo is definitely one of those recipes that varies a lot because different rest, families make it different. Um, but um, I've always, I've always loved infusing corn into a gumbo, especially the cobs. They just help to make the broth super rich and buttery. And so um it was important for me to have a gumbo that, that incorporated corn. And um, even to this day, even if I just put one corn cob, you wouldn't even know it's in there, but it just, it just, it, it gives this beautiful flavor to stock. I love that. Everybody listening, you're getting some tips on gumbo. And in this book, <laughs> you get some variations too. So if gumbo's your thing, this is a place to get into it. And you've got an awesome list of rices in here, including uh, basmati cumin rice, creole rice, lemon herb rice, umami rice, and dirty rice. You put those to use in recipes like dirty rice stuffed peppers, slow-cooked red mm-hmm. beans and rice, and toasted popcorn rice with pecans. And there's a macro bowl in here, all kinds of good stuff. One that I want to try and haven't yet is the mushroom rigatoni casserole. This picture, I love it so much. There's a, There are quite a few mushroom-based dishes in this book because you have a history with mushrooms here. What are a couple of your absolute favorite mushroom dishes in the book? Mm, I would say the shiitake bacon is probably like top five in the whole book. Um, Shiitake mushrooms have a lot of umami compared to like button or cremini or even chanterelle. Like shiitakes really have just, they have a savoriness to them that other mushrooms don't. And I find that that is my favorite vegan bacon um, is shiitake bacon. And so- Me too. Even though I love potato bacon, you know, I, I also have a mushroom rice paper bacon in the book and that is basically shiitake bacon, but you, you put it inside rice paper and you like wrap it up in a strip because I'm sure you've had rice paper bacon. And I, I had it when I, when it first came out and I thought it was good, but I was like, it's not really bacon. Like it, sure. it didn't, really, didn't really hit all the points for me. So by adding thinly sliced mushrooms to it, when it cooks, it just like cooks down and then it makes it super crispy and chewy and just full of flavor. So that's a really, that's, that's a really killer recipe. Well, uh, and I tell people you have a history with mushrooms. Tell them what I mean by that. Well, I just think mushrooms are just, they're such a powerful ingredient. And I, I feel like for most of my life, I always consider them a vegetable, but they're not, they're not a plant. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're a mushroom. They're, they're in the fungi family. And 
it wasn't until New York that I started foraging for mushrooms and I learned about wild mushrooms and I just like had a, had started to have a love affair with them and they just became, they just were so quintessentially vegan to me because they're like so hearty and meaty and flavor and texture. And so I, um, and then when I started foraging for them, it just, it was just, yeah, this crazy connection. And then when I moved back to Mississippi to write my cookbook, which I guess I haven't mentioned that yet, but after I got my book deal in New York, I moved to Jackson, Mississippi, which is in central Mississippi. And I lived there for a year and a half. And that's when I wrote the cookbook. But when I moved back to Mississippi, I applied the knowledge that I had learned about foraging in New York. And I realized that there was wild mushrooms growing in Mississippi. And there's a picture of lion's mane in the book that I foraged in the woods on the Natchez Trace Parkway. And I used that recipe to make the, the um, crab, the crab marnay, which is like a classic southern dish. Um, and then I also foraged chanterelle mushrooms, which is featured in the book. There's a, there's a picture in the front. And then there's also a chanterelle pasta dish. Mm. And um, I just think it's so special that Growing up, there was these wild mushrooms going around. And then it wasn't until later in my life that I learned about it. Sure. And then now it's like a part of my life in the South to like, to, to find mushrooms during the different seasons. And, um, you know, my friend gave me some morel mushrooms, some Mississippi morel mushrooms that grew here. And there's oyster mushrooms. And it's just crazy. It's just, it's just crazy. So that's my that's my little story about mushrooms. <laughs> well, it's so funny. I and I asked you to elaborate on it because when I first met you in New York and we had dinner together, I, I your the knowledge you had of mushrooms that night, I was just like jaw dropped, and I wanted to go. We were talking about potentially like I was going to go foraging with you. I remember, and we just never made it happen. But I was just so impressed and and so intrigued by mushrooms, and I was like, "Ooh, I want to know more." So it's really cool to have the pictures in this book and sort of your knowledge all in one place. And I know that expands as time goes on, but it is really cool to see you have you to have you now put it into a book. It's really great. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was funny because. I was working on the, the recipes right when I moved to Mississippi and my friend took me to Natchez Chase Parkway. I've been actually needing to post a story on Instagram because I haven't really told anybody unless you were following me on my stories at that time. But I literally, we got out of the car, we walked in Natchez Chase Parkway, we were walking around and I saw this bright white, you know, blob in the distance and I ran to it and it was lion's mane mushroom. And it was almost like this moment where everything came into alignment and I knew I was in the, I knew I was doing exactly what I should be doing. Yeah. And cause it just, everything brought me right to that moment and it was so special. And so it, yeah, it's really just magical. Oh, I can like moment. feel that moment when you describe it right now. And I also have a vision of you like running towards the mushroom oh, yeah. too. It's great. Running, <laughs> running. Well, we are in chapter six. That's the sides chapter with sautéed collard greens, crispy garlic potatoes, cornbread dressing, and glazed carrots. You can't go wrong. There's even a skillet okra in here. And we've also got a a desserts chapter, my favorite because I have a big sweet tooth. What's a sure thing to serve from the, the desserts chapter here? What's been a hit every time when you serve it to people? Well, I would say... I would say the um, the highly sophisticated chocolate chip cookies wouldn't necessarily be a hit because they 
some people, they, they might be weird to some people, but um, they just because they have a few um, peculiar ingredients. But the strawberry shortcake crunch bars, I remember testing that recipe. And I remember anyone who tried it was like so happy. And um, it was, that was one of the first recipes that I, that I tested for the book. And it's kind of an ode to my love affair with strawberries and cream. Cause growing up in Mississippi, I would go strawberry picking with my dad. And I remember we would pick strawberries and go home and, and serve it with heavy cream. And it's just, it doesn't yeah. get much better than that. So that's where that recipe came from it. I, I made like a really kind of thick coconut whipped cream and then you spread it on a pecan shortbread crust and then you mm. put ripe strawberries on it and freeze it. And it kind of has like an ice cream crunch bar vibe and it's really good. And you can also use other fruit with it. I've done it with peaches and it's really good. Oh, with I bet. And it, I'm so glad you brought up that one because that's the one I've had my eyes on. So it's the strawberry shortcake crunch bars, everybody. And there's a picture of this gorgeous apple rose tart i love it it's so beautiful and probably one of my favorite photos in here is this hummingbird cake with cream cheese lemon glaze mm. it looks so good but not to be overlooked are mama's pralines uh recipe she wrote yeah 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 right yeah yep there That's we go nice. and mini peach cobblers and bananas foster so many sweet treats to choose from next is the sauces condiments and staples chapter david and i love a sauce in this house we're a saucy family we love saucy. sauce and everything my goodness what is a staple in here that you keep on hand all the time um i'm looking through it i know the the comeback sauce i don't make it all the time so um I honestly would say um, the miso tahini is not actually in this chapter, but that actually is the sauce that's in my fridge all the time. Sure. Um, it literally is. And then I'm looking at the zesty ranch. Mm. I'd probably say probably the remoulade. The remoulade is kind of, all right. it, it's a great one to have and it, it. It stores well in the fridge and it's, it's, I originally created it for the crab, the artichoke crab cakes. And my mom actually loves that recipe and, and she, she'll make it all the time just to have. So I would say the remoulade is a standout for me. I love hearing that, that your mom makes recipes from here that she has. Oh my God. Her, the, the, the recipe for the um, happy crab, I call it happy crab cake bites because the crab's happy because you're not killing a crab. But right. Exactly. That, that recipe in the book, her page in the book is like, scattered and messed up and crumpled and has stains on it because she's made it Aww. so many times. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. That's fantastic. And I also love you finished the book off with a wellness chapter. This includes <laughs> even a beard oil, which I need to try, and also a calming face mist that I think missed that I, I also need to give a whirl, but also a few beverages. Uh, today, right now, if you were going to make a wellness beverage from here, what kind of day have you had? What what kind of, what does it call for? What kind of beverage would you make from the wellness chapter? So one of the recipes that I make, um, that I make constantly is the bouillon tea. And yet again, it's an ode to Angelica Kitchen because they had, they would sell a bouillon broth and it would just be like, onion, garlic, you know, celery, carrots, broth with, with sea salt and, and black pepper and parsley. Yeah. But it was like, you could kind of slurp it up. But I, when I was working on the cookbook, I was making this 
of bouillon tea because I love broth. I like, I love brothy soups, but I like to, I like to drink them like out of a coffee cup. And so the bouillon tea is something um, that I make all the time, especially because I have an herb garden. So I, I just love to harvest herbs and just kind of bring them to a boil in boiling water. And then um, I always like to add, sometimes I'll add shallots or onion or garlic. And um, yeah, it's just like this, this beautiful brothy tea. And it's, it's important to me to like harvest the herbs from the garden. And then I feel like I'm taking care of the garden. And then I feel like the garden's kind of nourishing me and taking care of me. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's like a relationship I have with the plants in my backyard, but definitely the bouillon tea. That's, that's one I still make all the time. I love that perspective on your garden. (laughs) I really do. Oh, well, Hey, that, that, I love that. That that was Mississippi vegan recipes and stories from a Southern boy's heart. Are you ready for your rapid fire baker's dozen round of questions? Okay. Let me take a sip of water. (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready. He's ready to roll. He took a sip of water. He's ready to go. All right. Number one, waffles or pancakes? Waffles. Favorite shape of pasta? Um, is it cavatappi, the squiggly? Yes. Yeah. That's also one of yeah. my favorite. I think, cavatappi. Well. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like an elongated elbow pasta, you know? Like it's just everything pasta. you want. It's yeah. got the hollow inside. Yep. Like Absolutely. the kind of texture. Yeah. I love it. Uh, hot sauce or barbecue sauce? Hot sauce. A show that you binged watch during quarantine? Euphoria. Food on a skewer or a tiny spoon? Skewer. A must in your morning routine? Uh, Coffee. Black coffee. Yes, I'm with you. Favorite flower? Gardenia. Must have tool in the kitchen? Mm. My handheld Julian peeler. Ah, nice. Uh, Favorite artist? Tori Amos. Musical artist you want to cook for? I mean, I would say Tori Amos, but like that would be, it would be Tori. It would be Tori. It's so much pressure. So much pressure. Listen, I'm manifesting this. I feel like it's going to happen. I just do. So I'm I'm here for it. Uh, What's your favorite way to eat potatoes? French fries. Yes. The required ingredients for you to make a successful vegan mac and cheese. Um, probably I, I'm a Violife. I'm a huge fan of Violife. So I'm going to say two things. I'm going to say Violife and oat milk. I really like using oat milk because it's so creamy. Mm -hmm. Which, so like which Violife cheese? Is it that mature cheddar? That mature cheddar slaps, but I'll say for the mac and cheese, it would be great. But I will say that the if you grate the mature cheddar, it doesn't melt as beautifully. Ah, okay. I had it before. It doesn't so melt know. as beautifully as the shreds do. Sure. But blend it up in a mac and cheese is perfect. Because I always, I'll, I'll usually blend up the sauce first in like a Vitamix. Because I usually put cashews in it. Just yep. to give it some body and some creaminess. So, um, but yeah, that mature cheddar, it slaps. I also love the smoked provolone. Very good. Yes, BioLife, all those are so tasty. And your last one, favorite NYC vegan restaurant? 
Oh, well, you know the answer to that. Does it still have to be open? I mean, no. No, it doesn't. Let's give Angel- some love. Angelica Kitchen. I was going to say, let's give it some love. We'll keep it there. That's good. Very good. That's the end of it. You did it. You got through it. <laughs> <laughs> oh well hey uh thank you for playing and timothy please tell everyone where they can find you on social media and beyond sure so i'm mississippi vegan across the board that's dot com uh, my handle on instagram is mississippi vegan i'm on tiktok even though i don't really use it um and then i'm also at youtube.com slash mississippi vegan and I'll, I'll be putting out some more youtube content um this year so that's exciting and cookbook title mississippi vegan and um yeah email mississippi vegan at gmail yes <laughs> so you can find him everywhere at mississippi vegan any uh anything new in the works for a second book yeah so uh, what i'll say is nothing's official but what I will say is I've been setting recipes aside and images aside. There, there's a, there's a moment that happens with certain recipes where I'm like, you know, I'm going to set this aside. And so I, uh, I would love to start working on the next book, like more vigorously, but right now I'm just kind of focused on my Instagram and blog and kind of like bringing in money that way. And, um, hopefully in the next few years, I will, get the proposal finished um, and, and really start to do that. But I have every intention of doing it and I already have the title and I have like probably 20 or 30 recipes set aside for it. So that's where I'm at. Oh, that's great. You're off to a great start. I can't wait for it. Everyone for now, you can go out and get a copy of this beautiful book, Mississippi vegan recipes and stories from a Southern boy's heart by Timothy Packran. Everywhere books are sold. It's uh, it's, it's a great as an actual functional cookbook. In addition to sort of doubling as a great coffee table book with this stunning photography so go out get yours now timothy thank you so much for taking the time to chat today thank you for having me this was a lot of fun i'm really glad we did this that was amazing uh what a what a cool viewpoint he gives in the book of quite literally kind of that idea of farm to table and his experience foraging for food and and just bringing it to the table and creating something i just think that's that's just super cool yeah and the recipes are interesting here because he has the brain of a chef so each one to me has a, a sort of learning component to it whether it's expanding an ingredients or a technique uh but he's not afraid to dig deep with the ingredients i i freaking love the salisbury steak from this so book good. yeah and it, it's a little more involved but i used to get this uh, a salisbury steak at this pub my mom used to take me to when i was a kid oh i actually gosh. think the name of the pub, pub was called salisbury's oh it was one of those hilarious. ones where it's like families went to it you know it wasn't like this like seedy adult pub well, it was like salisbury's literally tonight. yeah it was like a family like you know family bar and grill type of thing but i believe the name of it was called salisbury's so when i saw this i was and i used to get the salisbury steak there but when i saw this in this book i wanted to make it forever but it took me forever to get around to it because it was a little involved but when i finally made it uh, i was not disappointed the texture and the flavor were all so on point served up with some mashed potatoes and i think this recipe even has like an onion gravy with it if i recall but i love it so much and definitely an item i never thought i would have again as a vegan so yeah, it's a Salisbury steak in this book. I like that I have a recipe now that I can go to with this book that won't fail for that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I specifically remember that Salisbury steak. It was delicious. With, and, and I mean, the perfect uh, partner to that is mashed potatoes. Did you think it was so weird that I wanted to make a Salisbury steak? Were you like, why? 
Not really at all. <laughs> I remember that was something like, I don't know that. So Where did you have a, it as a kid? I don't know. Did like, you have it in a TV dinner? I, I did have it in a TV well, dinner for as well. Sure. Le- Isn't that I mean, weird? It's so weird. I used to have those like, weren't they like kid cuisine? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. feel like mm-hmm. there was one of them that had like a Salisbury steak. And a brownie. Something had a brownie. Always had like a brownie to warm up. Um, but uh, but anyway, it's uh, it's it's time for for a little dish from you. So oh, hey, us, let's get a little dish. dish. Dust, What's dish? Justin's dish. What's dish? I'm telling you, I've been digging back in my memory bank of this and trying to think of things I used to not know before I started cooking more, right? Or before I went to culinary school, like, but anything, not not culinary necessarily. The school learned tricks, but any tricks for the home cook that have made my life easier. And this week's tip. When you are trying to get water boiling, put a lid on the pot. That's Dustin's dish. Put a lid on it. If you like it, then you should have put a lid hey, on it. Hey, it traps the heat in and the water will start boiling faster. It seems obvious, but if you don't know, now you know. And if you knew already, well, then there you go. Look at you. Look how smart you are. You're so smart. It was something I never did. And once I learned this years ago, my mind was kind of blown at how much faster the water starts to boil. For so sure. yeah, there you go. Well, there we are. Look at that. We did it. Hey, so we're gra- so grateful we, uh, you know, uh, joined us today. Please tell everyone you know about the podcast. We love sharing um, all of these vegan cookbooks with you and the stories of the authors. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. We'd be so, so grateful. Um, and don't forget to follow at Keep On Cooking Pod on Twitter and Facebook and on Instagram at our host page, The Vegan Roadie. Yes, and we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Ooh. Until then, keep on cooking. And remember, you are the best thing that's ever happened to you. This has been a Muzzy Cat production.